calling out to the Atascacita community. It's time for your Atascacita Library advanced copy. Get your notes and news now. Hello, Atascacita community. Welcome to your advanced copy for March 4th, 2022. They say March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb, which is likely an old reference to the constellations that move through the northern hemisphere, lion and ram sheep. But here at Atascacita, we're roaring all the time with story times, programs, book clubs, computer classes, and more. This month, there are so many things to learn about and or celebrate. So here's just a few examples. March is Women's History Month. It's also Deaf History Month, National Craft Month, Optimism Month, National Foreign Language Month, Irish American Heritage Month. I think that probably ties into St. Patrick's Day, don't you? National Ethics Month, Expanding Girls' Horizons in Science and Engineering. Now, you might remember last year, our podcast had a young woman engineer speak with Darla. So you can go visit that podcast again. This month is also National Kidney Month, National Nutrition Month, National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, Trisomy Awareness Month, Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month. We are going to focus on women in history. So you may have had the opportunity to visit the library recently and look in our lobby display. We have little bits of information about various women throughout the centuries across the world, people who just were interesting or they made a big impact in the world globally or locally. Today also, Darla and PJ sat down to talk about women in history that fascinate them. Now, Darla had some local women of history for her part of the discussion, and PJ went globally, and so it was really interesting. I hope you'll stick around for that conversation. Now, also to know, Summer reading program is only three months away, so we're getting ready to dive into an ocean of possibilities. We're not anticipating having our lovely big new meeting room for this summer, but we will have programming at Atascacita Branch Library. We do hope that you will sign up at the end of May on Beanstack and get that reading in. We're going to have some really great incentives to pick up. Also, speaking of the work on the library, we're anticipating a shutdown sometime mid to late spring. They're going to do a lot of work on the inside. So you thought the inside changed post-pandemic. Well, the inside's going to change just a little bit again. We are getting some windows along that back wall to get some more natural light in. And we are also adding our AV media room. Now, this room is dedicated to programs that use technology and computers. And so we'll be getting a lot of that programming kicking off as soon as that room is complete. So Women's History, Women in History Month, this is international. I'll add some links into the description of the podcast of where you can get more information about the celebration of women in history. But right now, Let's join Darla and PJ as they talk about some of the women in history they would like you to know a little more about. Hi, I'm Darla. And this is PJ. And we're here talking about Women's History Month and some of our favorite women in women's history. I'm going to be talking about two women whose names appear on buildings around Houston, and you may not know exactly who they are. 
I will be talking about some women that you may not know in history, but are pretty much women that you should know. All right, so I'm gonna go first. Um, so the first one that I want to talk about is, and her name I've heard it pronounced different ways, um, Queen Bodisha or mm-hmm. Queen Boudica, whichever you prefer, I guess. She was the queen of the Iceni tribe. She lived from 30 AD to 61 AD, so I am bringing it way back. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was the queen of the Iceni tribe. She basically was living in England or Britain. At around this time, the Roman Empire was taking hold of a lot of lands. And the problem really started when her husband ended up dying and the Romans did not honor his will. They instead tried to take um, Queen Boudicca's lands from her. But not only did they try to take away her lands, they end up flogging her in basically publicly in front of all of her tribesmen and her daughters get raped by the Roman soldiers, which really brought out the mama bear in her because mm-hmm. you do not mess with her. So she gathered up a bunch of her tribesmen and made alliances with other tribes. And in doing so, she decided to fight against the Romans. Now, this is the Romans at their epitome, their, you know, their military is very strong. And here comes a woman who is not having it. So Boudicca actually ended up handing the Romans two losses. She handed the first loss in Lodinium, which is now London. And her second win was in a place called Verulamium, which does not exist anymore. It's now considered St. Albans. Unfortunately, um, it did not end well for her because, as mentioned, the Romans were had more strength, they had more troops. Um, her final battle was in the Midlands of England in AD 61, but rather than get caught by the Romans, she decided to take poison. Yeah, Queen Boudicca fighting against the Romans. That's wonderful. I, I learned about her through, actually through, strangely enough, Vicar of Dibley, because the vicar's middle name, that was her middle name, and when they talked about that, and I was like, oh, that is really, because I love a good warrior woman story, and even though yes, it ends with at least she is in control of her destiny. She is the one that decides when it ends instead of them, and I really love that story. And history forgets these women warriors. Oh, yes. You know, we, I think a lot of times women are seen as fragile and helpless and the damsels in distress. No, sir. Mm-hmm. Queen Boudicca throws all of that out the window. So, Well, one of the ladies I picked is Julia bedford Ideson. Now, if you've ever been to downtown Houston and the Houston Public Library, you will recognize the Ideson building. It is one of the most exquisite libraries. It is just beautiful inside. A few years ago, I went to a seminar there, and all the librarians that were there really weren't paying attention. They were just looking at the library. Well, even the outside facade is oh, gorgeous. It is gorgeous. And, you know, I knew a little bit about her, but there is a wonderful website. The Texas History Handbook of Texas History Online has a whole section on women of Texas. And I was just pulling some information about the other woman I'm going to be talking about later. And I ran across her and I clicked on it. And I was so excited to read about her because I, there were a lot of things I didn't know. So first of all, PJ, you're going to love this. She was one of the first students 
in the University of Texas library program in 1899. So for those of you who do not know, Darla and I are Longhorns, so hook them. <laughs> yes. So she, yes, she was one of the, uh, the first program in library so- science offered at UT. She was a student there. And I was very excited about that because yeah. it's one of those things. It's like, oh, I didn't, and I didn't realize the program was that old. After she graduated, she actually was the, the first librarian for the new Houston Lyceum Carnegie Library. Through there, she also brought around the first bookmobile in the state of Texas. And mind you, this is in the early 1900s. To give you some perspective, she passed away in 1945. So we're talking about, you know, 19, like 1903. <laughs> so Can you imagine driving that? What, yes. Like, I'm sure the streets were not... Oh, yeah, not paved. And it's probably like, a, you know, one of the older models, like a Model A model, you know, one of those type. And I was yes. Like, so, yeah, she won the first bookmobiles. She was the uh, first vice president of the American Library Association. And she played a central role in establishing the first library for African Americans in Houston. She also trained their staff. They opened in 1913. I think her main objective was access to libraries, which is something very contemporary. Because like I said, the first library that was accessible to African-Americans, and then she turned to libraries and prisons. And she convinced the Texas Library Association to form a special committee for prison libraries. And like I said, this is in 1923. So these things that we're still debating about today, she helped uh, organize the first uh, Texas suffrage rally in 1915. She organized a library at Camp Logan. Nice. I mean, she did all these amazing things. And and when uh, World War I came around, she spent eight months in a field library that the American Library Association had in probably going to, in France. I'm not going to try to pronounce the French city because my French is awful. But yes, she went to France for eight months on the front lines running a library. And she was also, in 1932, she was the first Houston woman who was included in the Who's Who in America. So next time you go down to the Houston Public Central Library and you see the beautiful Edison building, just think of all these wonderful things that she accomplished and how forward-thinking she was for her time. When you think about it, most people you know, didn't care about access to libraries for other people, for people who did not have access to libraries. So that is Julia Bedford Edison. And the people that she was reaching out to, you know, um, doing her part with helping, you know, give access to those who were in prison. Mm-hmm. And I mean, definitely a woman that seems beyond her time. Yes. Which I can appreciate. So the next one that I'm going to talk about is actually a group of women. They were sisters. This is going to be kind of a sad story. I know. Boudicca was also kind of sad, but they deserve to be mentioned. Um, These are the Mirabel sisters. They are from the Dominican Republic, or I should say they were from the Dominican Republic. Actually, there are four sisters. However, three of them are the most recognized because, and let me go ahead and just tell you their names. It's Patria, Minerva, and Maria Teresa. And they are known for opposing the horrible dictatorship of Rafael Trujillo in the Dominican Republic. Unfortunately, their story doesn't end very nicely. Um, They were involved in very clandestine activities against the regime. And as a result, they were assassinated Mm. November 25th, 1960. But their assassination really turned the tide Um, It had such a great effect, 
and it really did help lead to Trujillo's downfall because six months later, he actually was assassinated. Also, November 25th is considered International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, and it's because of them. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. You know, for me, it's a sad story, but I don't know. There's something so powerful about people risking their lives for the greater good. Yes. I don't know that I would be that brave. I want to believe that I would, but I don't know. The fact that these women were so brave, and they had been, they knew that the government was mm-hmm. on to them. They had been imprisoned before, but it's, it just didn't stop them because they knew how terrible Trujillo's dictatorship was and that he needed to break down. He needed to be brought down, sorry. So for me, I don't know a lot. I don't know that they are well known outside of the Dominican Republic or um, Latin America, but these women I just find to be so fearless, so incredible, and they did so much and they died at such a young age. Well, it takes a, it takes a lot of courage to stand up for something when you know this this would take your life, that this will that you're risking everything. You're risking your life to stand up for what you believe in. And I think the th- the, the kind of the theme running through this is these are people that you don't really hear about much. And I really would like for if there's any authors out there that want to write historical fiction or a wonderful nonfiction book on these people. Yes. Actually, I it's will like, tell you, there is a book on the Mirabella sisters. Ooh. It's called In the Time of Butterflies, if I'm not mistaken. It was also made into a movie featuring oh. Salma Hayek. Um, I cannot remember who wrote the book. But uh, yes, there is a book about these women and of course there has to be books about these ladies um so it is hard to sometimes write books about these um historical figures however it doesn't mean that just because they don't have a standalone book that you can't find books that mention their name yes so especially recently there's been a the whole rebel girls series oh man i love just amazing check it out there's rebel girls there's a whole series of, of books, and we have them at the library. But that has done a really good job filling in the gaps of women's history, especially for young people. Because that's what I always look at. I was like, you know, there may be some adult books, but, you know, books for teens, books for... That's what the next person I like to talk about is Barbara Jordan. There are a few books written on her, and but a lot of them are very old and updated and a lot of them don't cover something i'm going to talk about at the very end but there was a wonderful children's book that came out from the blue bonnet list called what do you do with a voice like that the story of extraordinary congresswoman barbara jordan written by chris barton illustrated Pua holmes it's an amazing picture book the uh, illustrations are gorgeous and the text is very lovely but it is a children's book so a lot of teens are not going to pick that up the books that uh, adult books that are written about her that she wrote, she wrote several books, are kind of going out of print. Uh, in Houston, there's the Barbara Jordan School, and a lot of people see that and they don't really know who she was. So she has several several very historical things about her. She was a lawyer. She was born in 1936 in the Fifth Ward in Houston. 
She went to Texas Southern University and graduated magna cum laude in 1956. She got her law degree from Boston University in 1959. And then she practiced law for a while, and then she kind of got drawn into, uh, after the passage of the 1965 Voting Act, she kind of got drawn into Texas politics. So she was elected to the Texas Senate in 1966, and she was the first black Texas senator since 1883. And she was the first black legislator elected to office since 1896. She became really well known for being able to work across the aisle. And in the era of the Equal Rights Amendment, she uh, worked really hard to get the ERA uh, ratified in Texas and proposed an amendment to the Texas Constitution guaranteeing equal rights for women, which Texas voters actually approved and passed. In 1972... Uh, former President Lyndon Maines Johnson really encouraged her to go national. And she was the first black woman from a southern state to serve in Congress along with Andrew Young. They were the first two African Americans to be elected to Congress from the South in the 20th century. That's a big achievement. Very big achievement. And uh, she came, most people from Texas knew who she was, but she really came to the forefront in 1974 during the Watergate hearings. And she is a very famous speech about the Constitution that she gave that just brought her to national prominence. As a result, she became she did a speech at the 1976 Democratic National Convention, and she was the very first woman in African American to speak at, to be a keynote speaker at that convention. Some of the things she did while she was in office is she extended the 1965 Voting Rights Act to the Hispanic population. Yay! Yay! Which Thank I, you! Which I didn't know. I thought the, the original act, you know, included all people of color. I did not realize that it was just, you know, a specific population. So, yes, she worked for that and got that done. She was very influential in, you know, Houston politics and Texas politics. After quite a few years, she retired from the Senate. She had three terms in Congress, and she went to teach at... University of Texas. Woo-woo! <laughs> Texas alumni. Well, she was an alumni. She was a Texas professor. And she taught at uh, Texas uh, UT for quite a few quite a few years. Uh, she's in the Texas Women's Hall of Fame. Eventually, she retired from teaching. Uh, she was very ill. She had multiple sclerosis. And so she kind of started to ramp things down after a while. She ended up with pneumonia and leukemia. In um, 1996, she passed away. After she passed, there was something in her life that she was not, well, she didn't hide it, but at the same time, she did not proclaim that she was a lesbian. She had a over 20-year relationship with, it's one of those things that's never mentioned in her biographies, which I find is is kind of strange. Um, At the time, everybody knew she was. It was kind of one of those things that after the fact, people were like, oh, yeah. She was in this relationship, and so, but she chose, you know, not to make it overly public. So, but we still claim her as, you know, famous queer woman who, you know, lived her life. The only mention of her partner after her death was actually in her obituary. And so uh, some people were surprised, but actually people who knew her were not surprised. She was one of those people that was out, but not out, out. So. For me, it's just, you know, why does she have to make it a big deal? Yes. It's her life. And maybe to her, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't. 
So it's one of those things because it becomes a debate in the community about, you know, how out you should be. But also, she was running for, you know, office in Texas, which can be kind of tricky sometimes. Oh, yes. You know, it was hard enough. It took that long to get a black woman elected in the South. It's kind of debate in the community about whether you should come out or whether you should not come out. But it's kind of a modern debate. I mean, I do think that people need to understand that people need to do what's best for them. Yes. Not what's best maybe for others. Exactly. And if she felt like that was the best thing for her or if she felt like it wasn't needed, then you know what? It wasn't needed. It's not Mm -hmm. like she denied it. No. She just didn't feel the need to talk about it. And we've got to respect that. We have to respect people's decisions to live their life the way they want to live their life. As long as it's not harming anybody else, I don't see why we need to have a say in whether she should have, you know, proclaimed it or not. So, and, you know, there's a whole argument about public life and private life. Exactly. You know, do we have access to public figures' private life? So, but I love Barbara Jordan. She did some amazing things. She was an amazing speaker. You can find her speeches on YouTube including the, the very famous Democratic National Convention speech and the, the Watergate speech. And so, yeah, check her out because she is really amazing. We do have some books in the system about her. They're very old, and we do have some of her writings. So I'm hoping eventually someone will take up the uh, cause to write uh, a book about her. There's also an awesome statue at the University of Texas in Austin where she has the most, like, she has such an amazing power stand. Mm, yeah. You can just tell she's like a boss, ready to do things. Um, yes. She's strong woman energy around. She, they did yeah. right. They did right by her with that mm-hmm. statue. On that note, I am going to talk about the last person. And I promise this one's a happier note than the last <laughs> two. And some of you may know her. I hope you do, because she was really awesome. Her name is Josephine Baker. She was an American, but I think some people confuse her as French because she did end up going to France. And unfortunately, she ended up going to France because her country, the United States, did not treat her well at the time because she was black and there was segregation. So she was one of those people that was not putting up with that ended up going to France. She ended up going to France and she found so much fame. Um, She's known for her dances, especially her banana dance. If you see videos, I mean, I would not show it to the kiddies. I would not show it to the kids, (laughs) but you know, just the way she's moving around, pretty awesome to see. I just recently saw her banana dance and man, that flexibility and what she's doing, like. Oh yeah. And I don't know that I could make those moves without like maybe like being like, ah, my back. <laughs> exactly. Um, but just a couple of things of why I really like her. So first and foremost, uh, well, actually, I don't even know where to begin with her because she's just that great. So she was a spy for the Allies during World War II. So she was a big part of helping um, the Allies win because, you know, a lot of what we learn through spies is what helped us be one step ahead of the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so she was just risking her life being a spy. And some of the information that she brought back was so essential that it's pretty awesome that she was willing to just put herself out there and do it. Well, and at a time, too, where as an American expatriate, 
when the war got hot and heavy, she could have very easily left the country. Yeah. And she chose to stay in France and to, to do this. And that's really, for a woman trapped in a war zone, very dangerous, especially a very openly visible woman. I mean, she was a star. Yeah. So she was putting everything at risk where she could have just very easily bounced and gone back to the U.S. or gone to another country and just been like, I'm out of here. And so, no, she's chose to stay and fight. And I'm like, yes, sister. Because of this, she's the first American to be awarded. And I am sorry, this is in French, so I apologize to those who know French because I'm going to mess it up. Um, but she was awarded the Crocs de Cré. Um, she was also awarded the Medal Resistance. Um, on top of that, she fought for civil rights in the U.S. She was actually banned from the U.S. Uh, for 10 years, which, oh, I'm so embarrassed because I, I really wish this country had embraced her and treated her right because she's so cool. But yeah, she fought for civil rights in the U.S. Uh, she refused to perform for segregated audiences. She stood besides MLK at the March on Washington. She got a lot of threats from the KKK. But you know, she didn't back down. She lived her life and she continued to speak against segregation. Going with this idea, she adopted 12 children. Whoa, I did not know that. Yes, she adopted them of all different races because she highly believed that children from different races and backgrounds could grow up together in harmony. So what a lovely idea. Pretty amazing to me that 12 kids, that's wow. But it's a lovely idea, and why not? Why can't we grow up in harmony? Exactly. This is by far, like, my best, like, my favorite quirky thing about her. She had a cheetah named Chiquita. <laughs> a cheetah that she actually used in her shows. But, I mean, a cheetah, Darla. I can't get over that. And it was named Chiquita, which I think is so cute. She loved animals. Obviously, she loved animals. Also, going back and touching a bit on what you were talking about, Barbara Jordan, she was bi. Oh, I didn't yes. know that either. It is rumored that one of her encounters with was with Frida Kahlo, um, which if you've heard the past podcast, you know I am a fan of Frida Kahlo. But also just recently... They have decided that she's going to be buried in the Pantheon in Paris, which is a very Ooh. high honor. So yeah, that's Josephine Baker. She was amazing. And, you know, I think, as you mentioned, um, the running theme about these women is they're not the damsels in distress. They're the women that want to create change and they're brave women who seem like they're going up against a lot of obstacles, but that doesn't bother them. We love strong women, and like Darla said, there are a bunch of books. The thing about children books is that you can introduce these figures that sometimes, you know, may be problematic. You can introduce them to your kids in a kid-friendly way using children's books. Also, the great thing about children's books, and I, as a history major, I love children's books because I think that a lot of times history, people get boggled down by the details of history because mm -hmm. there's so much 
details, there's so many facts. But you know, reading children's books, they get to the point, they get to the um, important facts without overwhelming you. Yes. So I, I love reading children's books for history. I just think there's something very wonderful. And if you're an adult and you kind of want to have an idea about these women and know more about them, yes, read The Rebel Girls. It's a great introduction to a bunch of women that unfortunately have been lost in history um, or don't get mentioned enough as they should. I would say this children's and middle grade fiction right now or, or nonfiction it's just amazing right now. And if you're not reading it, you're, you're really missing out on a lot of amazing books. And so many people have this prejudice about, oh, it's a picture book. It's for babies. I'm like, no. As an adult, there's some amazing books out there that are done in picture book form. In um, middle grade fiction or middle grade nonfiction. Well, because when you think about it, I have to think that writing for children is difficult because you're taking these intense concepts like something like world war ii mm -hmm. and you're trying to put it so that a child can understand so there is no shame in children's books or ya books exactly and i think the one element a lot of them have is visuals because sometimes things can get really dry when you're just reading text 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 but then you see visuals really drive home a story you know we have some amazing biographies and I really think people miss out because they're like, oh, I don't want to read this 800-page biography. Guess what? There's the Who Was series. Oh, that is a great series. Thank you guys for joining us. Yes. Until we meet again, this is PJ. And this is Darla. Bye, guys. Bye. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Coffee. Throughout the year, there are several distinguished book awards presented. Now, since this is a podcast, let's talk about the Audis. The 2022 Audi Book Awards has 25 categories focusing on audiobooks presented by the Audio Publishers Association, and they will be presented this month. I will share a link to who the finalists are for the Audi Awards, but here are just a few of them. For Audiobook of the Year, there's Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, narrated by Ray Porter, and it is published by Audible Studios. A Promised Land, written and narrated by Barack Obama, published by Penguin Random House Audio. The Storyteller, written and narrated by Dave Grohl, published by Harper Audio. The Sweetness of Water, by Nathan Harris, narrated by William Demerit, published by Hachette Audio. They have other categories, like audio drama, autobiography memoir, best female narrator, best male narrator, multi-voiced performance. Now, multi-voiced performance is exactly as it says. And one of these titles has over 40 narrators listed. So the audio awards are going to be announced today, this evening. There's no in-person attendance to the audio awards ceremony. So look to audiopub.org for a list of winners and maybe your favorite narrator or your favorite audiobook won this year. We have some great upcoming programs. Lit Chat, the book club for ages 18 and over, meets the second Thursday of each month at 1 p.m. Stop by this month to share a recent read and hear what others have enjoyed reading. Also, learn about next month's group read, How They Croaked. 
Lit Chat is also still available in a podcast. That podcast is usually published the morning of the Lit Chat in person. Also, that same day at 4.30, we have Team Book Club, which is for ages 13 to 18. This month, the theme is epistolary reads, so stories told through letters and journals. You are welcome to share any book, but if you have one that you liked that is an epistolary read, we'd love to hear more about it. So visit on the second Thursday at 4.30 for a Team Book Club, ages 13 to 18. On March 14th at 4 p.m., it's time for Lego Club. You'll be given a Lego mission. Create a masterpiece and then share what you've made with others. This club is for ages 4 to 12 and registration is required. So register online at hcpl.net slash events to join in the fun. Thank you for joining us for this advanced copy. If you liked this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others in the community who might like to hear what's going on at your Atascacita Branch Library. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Find information on media used and resources mentioned on our podcast webpage. This podcast is produced by the staff of Atascacita Branch Library, a part of the Harris County Public Library System. Funds for the podcast are provided by a grant from Best Buy through the Friends of Atascacita Library. Find out more about this 501c3 organization at foal.ws. That's F-O-A-L dot W-S.